Well, we're so glad to have you this morning. If you have your Bibles, say amen. amen. Great to have that and have you here today. Please take them turn to John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 today. John 1, the Gospel of John, as we talk about God with us. God with us from the beginning. You know, you can get notes for this message on your iPhone uh, or your smartphone at crosscity.church forward slash notes. And if you want to get uh, some of those notes as we go through this message today, that'll be important. Uh, you can follow it with the th different texts that we'll be looking at because we'll be looking at Genesis and Exodus and John. And by the time this series is over, we'll go from Genesis to Revelation in one form or another uh, over the course of this next four weeks. So be ready for that. John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. You know, God has promised that he would be with us, and nowhere is it more emphasized than right now. It's emphasized right now because we're looking ahead to celebrating Christmas and the whole idea of God with us in the Scripture and in song is a regular occurrence. But God has always been with us from the beginning. And what I want you to see today as we walk through the Scriptures is the intention of God to always be present with His people. You need to know this today. God's presence can be in your life. God has created you in such a way where His presence can be in your life on a moment-by-moment -moment and a day-by-day -day basis in a life-changing kind of way. And as we look at this today, I want you to look ahead in the days and weeks ahead to know what can I do to walk in the presence of God? How can I know I'm walking in His presence and His presence is impacting me in more powerful ways than anybody else's presence in my life would impact me? John chapter 1, let's stand together as we talk about God with us from the beginning. John's gospel opens with an incredible announcement. God is going to be with us. But it begins with the spiritual genealogy of Jesus. And in John chapter 1, verse 1, here's what John says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Someone say amen. amen. Great text. Look down at verse 14. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let those words sink in for just a moment. The Word became flesh. God with us. When we sing the word Emmanuel, when we talk about God with us, this is what we're talking about. God literally become flesh and walks among us. He's with us. He's in our presence. We're in his presence. Father, today in Jesus' name, help us to understand your presence, your heart, your passion, your purpose for us. Father, today I pray that the word would speak loudly to our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name and our God's people said, Amen. Amen. Please be seated if you would. I just love the Gospel of John. I love the way it opens up. I love the pronouncement that's being made from the very beginning. God is going to be with us. And we really, if you think about what Christmas celebrates, it really does celebrate the coming of Christ. It celebrates the birth of Christ. It celebrates the fact that this long-awaited promise, this long-awaited hope is come and it's come in the form of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing, amazing thing. You know, I left some of the songs of Christmas too. 
And there's one song that kind of uh, is a haunting melody and a haunting song that is in my mind all the time this time of the year. I mean, I, I go through it all the time. I, I sing it when I'm by myself. I sing it when I'm in the car. Uh, sometimes I sing it in the house, and my wife asks me, what in the world are you doing over there, you know? And it's not the best-sounding song I sing, but it's the most awesome song in the world. And the song is the song you're familiar with, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And if you think about the, the plaintive cry, the haunting melody of that song, it's a, it's a song of yearning and a song of, learn, of, of longing for God's presence. Listen to the words. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Think about that melody. Think about those words. Think about the longing of the heart that wrote that song and the longing of a nation that anxiously awaited a Messiah. And, and then you have the powerful song that we sing sometimes, O come, O come, Emmanuel. That's really the heart of people as they await God's fulfillment of the fact that he's going to be with us. But you need to know today that God has always been the God who is here. He's always been the God who is not remote, who is not so lofty and distant that we cannot know him. He is the God who's here. He's the God who is present in our lives. When you read this text, John chapter 1, verse 1, there's a line in there that says, in the beginning. And I remember when I studied with a man named Spiros Odiades, a little Greek man who understood the scriptures so well, he used to say about this passage of his, it was his favorite passage, he used to say, John, don't you know that this in the beginning means in the beginning of all beginnings? In the Greek, it's in our key, where we get our word architect. And he said, that what's behind that is that God, who is the creator of all things, the architect of the universe, in the beginning, in that beginning, when he was creating heavens and the earth, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Taking that line with the intended purpose behind it, in the beginning of all beginnings, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh. We're going to take a trip through the Old Testament and look at several stops along the way where God has been present from the beginning. So doing that, we want to go all the way back to the book of Revelation. The, I mean, the book of Genesis, excuse me, the, the book of beginnings where we learn where God was very present in the creation. Go with me to Genesis chapter 1 for just a moment. And we'll come back to John 1 in just a moment, but we're going to stay in Genesis for just a few moments where we see God's presence at creation. And I'm going to read Genesis chapter 1 similarly to the way I read John chapter 1. And just look and read and observe with me as I walk through this text. The Bible says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And that's just the beginning of the creative period of seven days where God created the heavens and the earth and was very present, was very there, very involved in this creation. You know, we're, uh, we're in the age of science. We're in the age of technology these days. And when you read about all the writings about the creation of the universe, you have all kinds of theories about how the universe came into being. There's the Big Bang Theory where nearly 14 billion years ago, this theory says there was nothing and there was nowhere. 
And then due to a random fluctuation in a completely empty void, a universe exploded into existence. That's what the Big Bang Theory says. It says something the size of a subatomic particle inflated to unimaginably huge size in a fraction of a second, and boom, or bang, the universe came into existence. You also read a scientific theory that's called the eternal inflation theory. And that theory says after the Big Bang, the universe expanded rapidly during a brief period called inflation. The eternal inflation theory posts that the inflation never stopped. It's been going on for an infinite length of time. And somewhere, even now, new universes are coming into existence in a vast complex called the multiverse. And these many universes can have many physical laws. That's another scientific theory. A third scientific theory of creation is called the oscillating model of the universe. Uh, it says that the universe was involved in an endless series of big bangs. You might say little bangs until it eventually was followed by a cycle that endlessly created universes and continues to do that. Now, I respect science, but it's a bit lofty to believe that you can explain the existence of the entire universe in a simple scientific theory. So today we're really not going to deal with theories. We're going to deal with historical accounts. And the historical account of the creation of the earth is Genesis chapter 1 that we've just read. And in that account it says God created the heavens and the earth. And it says that God spoke and all the worlds came into existence. Now I want you to see this in Genesis chapter 1. When you begin to read the Bible, you'll realize that from the very beginning of the Bible, God reveals himself as a certain kind of personality and a certain kind of God. Now, what do you read in Genesis chapter 1? Well, you read, first of all, that God is the creator. But that's what he does. He creates things. He creates universe. He created the earth, and eventually he created mankind. You see that he is a God that's present, not absent, not remote, not way off in the distance, but a God who's very present with his creation. You see, he's a God that communicates. He speaks. You see, he's a God who is pleased with what he has done. And all those things describe God's character. And why is God involved in the creation? Because his creation is an expression of himself. I don't know about you, but I love nature. And I love traveling because in Texas you don't have all the nature that is represented in the world in Texas, right? You just have flat, you have a lot of concrete, but you don't have a lot of mountains and rivers and all those kinds of things, not many trees at all. But when I travel, I see all kinds of beautiful mountains with incredible snow masses on top of them. I see deep river valleys. I see all kinds of deserts. I see heights and depths. I see all kinds of colors and variety. And when I see that, I realize that's a reflection and an expression of the God who created them. God is revealing himself even through his creation. Think about these things. His beauty, his grandeur, his power, his majesty, the color with which he creates, the variety, the diversity, the depth, the heights, the sounds, or even the silence. God is expressing himself through creation. He's there. He's in the middle of it. God is a creating God, and he's very, very involved from the very beginning. His presence is known. If you go from the book of Genesis to the book of Job, then you find a very different representation of God. Not only is God presence, but in addition to that, God is very, very deeply involved with his creation. I'm going to read some verses out of the book of Job. If you want to go to Job chapter 38, you can follow along with me. 
And in Job 38, we have this amazing account of God speaking to Job. Job is questioning God's purpose for his life. He's questioning God's existence. He's questioning God's presence in his life. Where were you, God, when all these hard things happened to me? And so God is responding to Job in the book of Job in the first person. He's speaking for himself, and look what he says. In verse 4 of Job 38, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who set its measurements since you know or stretched the line on it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Look at how God describes his presence there and his involvement. Or who enclosed the sea with doors when bursting forth it went out from the womb when I made a cloud of its garment and thick darkness its swaddling band? Verse 10, he said, I placed boundaries on it and set a bolt and doors. And I love verse 11 because God says this. He said, and I said, thus far you shall come, but no further. Here shall your proud wave stop. God is saying to Job, I even determined how far up on the beach the waves of the ocean go. I'm involved. I'm deeply involved in my universe. Verse 22, have you entered the storehouses of the snow or have you seen the storehouses of hail which I've reserved for the time of distress for the day of war and battle? Where is the way that the light is divided or the east wind scattered on the earth? Look in verse 31 of Job 38. Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion, the constellation? Can you lead forth the constellation in its season and guide the bear with her satellite? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water will cover you? Can you send forth lightning so that they may go and say to you, here we are? This is God. He's involved. And God is interacting with his universe. He's present with the universe. The lightning speaks back to him when he speaks to it. The waves go no further on the beach than he declares that they should go. God is present in creation. And the reason it's so important for you to know that God is present in creation is because ultimately I want you to know God is present and available in your life. In your life, if he's present with the trees and the mountains and the streams and the heights and the depths, why would he not be present with you? It's one of the most astounding facts of the universe that our God, our creator God, walks with us. Here's the truth. God is involved. God initiates. He is not remote. He is not distant. He is not detached. His active presence is in his original design. You say, Pastor, I have to tell you, sometimes I don't feel God. I don't sense his presence. I don't know where he is. I don't know what he's doing. I'm not sure whether he's pleased or displeased with these things in my life. I actively want to know the presence of God in my life. And I'm telling you today, God wants you to know him. And he wants you to know his presence. So God was present with us in the beginning. But let's go even further. This is just the inanimate universe. Let's go into the garden where God created mankind. And for that, we need to go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. If you keep on reading in chapter 1, you ultimately come at the climactic moment of creation after God has created everything else. He created man. In verse 26, it gives that brief account. Chapter 2 gives us a longer account. But in verse 26 of chapter 1, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
And then verse 27, God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created them. And it goes on and said, God blessed them. Wow, what a powerful picture of a God involved with his creation. He's present in the garden. What do you see here? You see, God not only is a creator, but you see, he created us in his image. The Bible says we're created in his likeness. It says that he allowed us to rule over all other elements of his creation. He put us in charge, in other words, of all creation. But by placing his likeness in us, did he not make us able to know him, to recognize him, to interact with him? God's active presence in creation of mankind creates a man and a woman who can relate to him. By design, we're wired to recognize and fellowship with God himself. Sometimes it seems like we're so far away from God and the, the gap is so huge we can't possibly relate to God. We can't possibly know what his will is or we can't possibly know what he has planned for our lives. But by design, we are wired to know him. And he has made us that way so that we can have that incredible privilege of knowing God. It's part of our purpose and part of our DNA. Let me just say, when you're out of sync with the presence of God and out of sync with the will of God, your life is much emptier, you hurt much deeper, you're much more confused than could you see his presence and sense his direction in your life. That's why I want you to know God with us from the beginning and God with us even in the garden. You know, uh, my family and I over the years have, have just enjoyed each other's company and presence, and I love it when my family comes together and I see the likenesses in our, in our children with, with my wife and I. Sometimes those are kind of disturbing and sometimes those are kind of funny. But one of the things I really enjoy doing is I enjoy seeing the likeness in our daughter's face, faces and in our daughter's personalities and their manner with my wife. Uh, I, I love my wife. I've got an incredible wife with a great personality and an incredible spiritual life, a beautiful woman. And when I see my three daughters together with them, I just love to see their likenesses. Sometimes I say, you know, that's just like you, Kim. She's acting just like you. Or she looks just like you. Or she reminds me of you when you were 20 years old or 21 years old. I love doing that. Uh, we used to go to the mall sometimes and shop. It's not a thing anymore. But back in the day, there were malls. There were things called malls, these large buildings. And women shopped and men sat on park benches in the malls. That's how it worked. And so we would sit there, and men don't talk to each other when they're on those park benches. We don't say anything. We just watch people. And I, I used to love watching mothers and daughters walk down the aisles of those malls going from store to store because I enjoyed seeing likenesses. I enjoyed saying, I know that is a mother's daughter right there. I can see their DNA. I can see that they are from that same family. And we take a lot of joy when we get together in our celebrations, like at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I, I look at that. It's enjoyable to see that. Can you imagine the joy that the Father had, God creator Father in the garden with the Adam and Eve of his creation? And he created them with the DNA of his own likeness. He created them in his own image. They were image bearers of God, the creator God. Can you imagine the joy they experienced when they interacted with him and when he saw them as they responded to him? I envision joy in the Garden of Eden. I envision there were great times between God and his creation. 
If you look in Psalm chapter 16, there's a unique verse there where the psalmist is talking about the presence of God and the joy that comes from the presence of God. And here's what he says in Psalm 16:11. He says, You will make known to me the path of life, and in your presence is fullness of joy, and in your right hand are pleasures evermore. I can only imagine Adam and Eve in the garden, even though we don't have that account in the book of Genesis, there must have been periods of time where that verse was reality to them. He was making them know the path of life. He was showing them all that he had created for them to work with and to do and, and to be together. He gave them a job to name all the animals. He gave them the opportunity to eat of the trees of the garden, all except the one tree. Can you imagine the joy they had of interacting with holy God in the garden? That's hard for us to imagine that, but that's exactly what was going on in the garden. God designed it that way. He wanted it that way. And the verbiage in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 are these kinds of words. He blessed them. He appointed them. He gave them relational counterparts. He fed them. They were naked and not ashamed. And you know what God said about that creation and that joy and that fellowship in the garden? He said, it is not just good, but it is very good. When God created the heavens and the earth, he said it was good. When he separated the light from the darkness, it is good. The dry land from the waters, it is good. When he created the animals, it is good. But when he created Adam and Eve, he said, it is very good. Why? Because God created us to fellowship with him. And he gave us the capacity to do that. Imagine Adam and Eve walking with the Lord in the Garden of Eden in the cool of the evening. Imagine them interacting. Imagine them learning. That, to me, is a fascinating kind of thought line. Imagine his personal presence in their lives without barriers until one day. Until one day. See, the Bible says that the serpent entered into the garden and began to tempt Adam and Eve. And in the temptation... They chose to rebel against God's command and eat of the one tree in the Garden of Eden that he'd forbidden them to eat from. The Bible says that when they had done that, the eyes of their understanding was open and they knew that they were naked and ashamed. And the Bible tells us that even then, after that parting, after that separation, that God came to them. In Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, it says, And the man and his wife hid themselves. From the presence of the Lord. We're talking about the presence of the Lord, the fact that God is with us. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. It tells me that they not only knew about his omnipresence, the fact that he is such an incredible God, that he is in all places at all times, but they knew something about his personal presence, that he was there, and they heard him, and they knew him among the trees of the garden, and yet they hid themselves. Here's what we learn from Genesis chapter 3 and the fall of mankind is that the tragedy and the grief of sin are very real because of what was lost, fellowship with God. All that joy we talk about, talked about a moment ago, all that interaction between Adam and Eve and God, all that ability to walk with him in the cool of the evening and to learn his ways and to have pleasures evermore and, and the fullness of joy, all that in one moment of sin was gone. And a separation took place. The presence of God was still in the garden, but they could not, would not fellowship with him because they were fundamentally changed through 
sin. And sin, of course, led to death. Perhaps maybe one of the best ways to understand the separation that took place in the garden is if you've experienced a death with a loved one. Someone you've loved and interacted with, someone that you've had great joy with, someone that you knew intimately and it was a personal connection in a very, very big and very, very real way. And then all of a sudden, death came in and you no longer were able to interact with them anymore because they were now on a very different plane from you. Instead of living, they were now dead and gone. I lost my father about three years ago. I say I lost him. It's just a manner of expression. I know exactly where he is. He's in the presence of the Lord. But my ability to interact with him is no longer the same as it was. I can't pick up the phone and call my father. I can't travel a short distance and interact with him. We can't talk about old times or future times. We can't laugh together. We can't interact together. We can't even cry together. He can't experience pain and heartbreak in the way he did before. We're separated in a, in a way that I can't change right now. And that separation took place in the garden through sin first and then through death. But the presence of God was still available just separated because of sin. Now, to finish the story, one day I'll see my father again because he's with the Lord Jesus Christ. And because I am in Christ, when I die, I will be with him again, and that fellowship will be completely restored, but only because of Christ and only because of his sacrifice, only because of what he did on the cross for us. Did you know that in the Garden of Eden, from the very beginning, God saw that separation and made provision for it? Why? Because that's who God is that he wants to fellowship with mankind. Keep reading in Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, if you go down to verse 21, you'll see exactly what God did. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. I love this, this verse because this verse says so much that we don't realize it says. It says that the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. Now, that doesn't sound like a tremendous thing theological passage, but it really is. Because you can't take and make garments of skin unless an animal that owned that skin is first put to death. And that animal can't be put to death unless it's first made to shed blood. And shed blood would always atone for sin and pay for sin, the innocent for the guilty. And that's the principle of the blood sacrificial system that God established later. And that's the principle of how God covered that sin in the garden, not just with the skin, but with the blood that was shed for the skin. So even in our sin and separation, God was determined to make a way for us to fellowship with him, and it was through that sacrifice. God made provision. Today, I want you to know, even though you and I are really created after Adam's image as fallen men and fallen women, we still have the ability to interact with God, know the presence of God, because of God's provision through the blood. Aren't you glad about that? Aren't you thankful that there was a lamb that was slain on the cross 2,000 years ago so that you and I can fellowship with the God who is present, not remote, not far off, but here among us? I'm so thankful for that. Jump ahead with me 2,000 years to the book of Exodus. Not only is God present in creation, not only is God present in the garden, but God is present in the sacrifice. Some 2,200 years and millions of people later, as God created a nation for himself out of Abraham, he would experience and follow God. He would learn his ways. 
Exodus is the story of God's deliverance of his people from bondage and his leading them through the wilderness. You know the stories of Exodus. But central to this journey is what we call the tabernacle and the sacrifices we just spoke of. God said, make a tent of meeting where I can meet with you there. And among the millions of you, I want you to know I've made provision so that you would know my presence and that I could be with you and I could lead you through the wilderness. Now to a group of people who were wandering in the wilderness, this was an incredible promise. To a group of people who really desperately needed the presence of God, after 400 years in Egyptian bondage, this was amazing for God to say, I am the God of the present, not of the absent. I'm going to be here with you and here's what it's going to look like. The tabernacle was made, and the sacrifices were brought in. And the priests would bring into the Holy of Holies those sacrifices and that blood shed for sin. In Exodus, the last chapter, chapter 40, and verses 34 through 38, it summarizes the worship of the tabernacle. I want you to see what's said there. The Bible says in verse 34 of Exodus 40, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. This is the presence of God. We call it the Shekinah presence of God. That is, His glorious cloud, His glorious presence there at the sacrifice. Verse 35, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The high priests were in there offering sacrifices, but even Moses couldn't go in. The overwhelming presence of God was so powerful. God is not absent. God is not gone. God is here. Verse 36. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the sons of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day when it was taken up. For throughout all their journeys, the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and there was fire in it by night, and the sight in the sight of all of the house of Israel. You know what that says, don't you? It says that God was not only present but visible. You know where they put the tabernacle? Among all those millions of Israelites that were camping in the, in the wilderness, they put it right in the middle of the camp. Here's a picture. The picture of the tabernacle shows a picture of an area of worship and a place of sacrifice where the glory of the Lord could be seen with a fire by night and a cloud by day and all the people in all their dwellings around this tabernacle would know. All they would have to do is look towards the tabernacle and know the Lord is here. The Lord is present with us. The Lord has made provision for us. Sin's been paid for. He's leading us. He's guiding us. We don't go where the cloud doesn't go. And when it stays, we stay. And when it goes, we go. He is with us. Why am I telling you all these things? Because sometimes we live as though we are people without the presence of God. Because sometimes we think about life as life without the presence of God. But God has always been with his people, always made provision from creation, in the garden, in the sacrifice, and all the way to what we're talking about today where God is with us. Man, this is a powerful moment for us to think about it. Picture this for these people that, back in that day. God is saying, I'm with you. You can experience my presence in the tabernacle. You can follow my presence with the cloud. And while not as intensely personal as the garden where they could walk with God in the cool of the evening, it was undoubtedly God's presence. And it brings us to this present day. And here's the present day for you and I. See this. God has always been present. 
He's always been involved, always been active in the lives of those who follow him. It's who he is, and it's how he works, and it's how he's created us. God is here. Aren't you glad? Somebody say amen today. God is here. He's present. He's around you. We're not always aware of that, but he's here. And all that God does, he calls us to this personal relationship. And that's why we ultimately land on John 1, 14. And the word became flesh. I want you to say this with me. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Those are not idle or empty words. Those are words that John wrote regarding the Messiah, Jesus, who came in fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and promises. And he came to demonstrate a fullness of his presence with his people. It's what Christmas is all about. It's why we celebrate John 1.14. It's why we celebrate a baby in a manger because God is continuing to show us, I am with you. Not long ago, I had a conversation with, with a lady who uh, approached me. And she said, you know, I've got a, a dilemma I struggle with. She said, I've, I've been a believer for many years, but a number of years ago, she said, I did something that I know was against the will of God. And she said, after doing that, I haven't sensed his presence since that day. And it's been many, many years. I haven't sensed the presence of God. I don't sense his presence in my prayers. I don't sense his presence in a worship service. I don't sense his presence at any time in my life. And the plaintive cry that came from her heart is, am I lost? Is there any hope for me? And I went back and talked to her about the gospel. I went back and asked her, have you given your life to Christ? And are you sure that you did that before that moment of your life? Before that moment of sin, that moment of disobedience, did you give your life to Christ? And she said, I know I did, and I experienced his presence before then. And I looked at her, and I said, you are not without hope. In fact, if you put your faith in Christ at any point in life, you have all the hope you need in the world. What you need to be reminded of, that God's provision was enough for you to know his presence again, for you to experience his closeness and his intimacy again. And I say that to everyone who's put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Never too late to know the presence of God. In fact, you're created for it if you put your faith in Christ. Say, well, Pastor, really, has that happened every single day in your life? And I would say to you that it's easy for us to not be aware of the presence of God in our lives. It's easy for us to think about other things, to be driven by other agendas and calendars and not remember God's presence in our lives. There's no doubt about it. But then we get desperate for something. We're desperately afraid, desperately fearful, desperately needy, needy, or in some way we're desperately seeking God's presence and all of a sudden we realize he is there. He is able to demonstrate his presence. He is able to lead us. Now, folks, it's not a church thing. It's not about getting the music right. It's not about having uh, the right kind of people in the room. It's not about any of that. It's an intensely personal thing. You can experience God's presence but you need to be aware of his presence and you need to pursue his presence. Over the last few days, I've thought a lot about this idea of the presence of God and walking through an awful lot of scripture from Genesis all the way through the New Testament. And I was thinking yesterday, meditating on this, just kind of saying, Lord, when is it that we experience your presence the most? And the answer that I began to sense is to share with you today was, was very real, very clear. Our ability to sense the presence of the Lord involves several things with the center hub being 
his revelation of himself, his word, his character. If you look at the, the hub of all that God has revealed to us about himself in the word of God, there it is as the hub of everything that we have to exist with in relation to him. And then there's this aspect of worship. When I worship, when I pray, and I think worship and prayer are very similar activities. When I worship and pray, when I surrender myself to who, you, who he is and how he works and how he's revealed himself, I experience his presence in that. When I pray and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done, I often experience his presence, sometimes through the answer, sometimes through the prayer itself. So I worship and our prayer, we can experience the Lord. And then I, I learned that also, I experience God's presence over the years when I'm in alignment with him, in agreement with him. That is, when I obey his word, when I know he's leading me to do something, when I know he wants me to live in a certain way, and I'm in alignment with that, I experience his presence. Sometimes I experience opposition from the world, but I experience this affirmation from the Lord himself in obeying his word. And then there are times around that hub when he leads me and when we are led by the Lord, allow ourselves to be led, we're listening to him, we're responding by faith to his leadership, I experience his presence in a huge way. And sometimes I myself am terrified to obey him. At the same time, I know I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, and I sense his presence. And then that last part of the four, not only worship, not only in aligning ourselves under his character, not only in... Uh, in prayer, as I've mentioned, and in being led, but also in conviction. When God begins to convict my life, it's not a comfortable thing. It's not a fun thing, but I know it's him because I would never convict myself of some of the things that he convicts me of. I would never try to change my life in the way he's trying to change my life. But when I respond rightly to that conviction, I sense his presence. And when I respond wrongly to that conviction, I sense his distance, just as Adam and Eve did in the garden. Worship, alignment, being able to see his leadership and being led, and then how you respond to conviction. These are the things that allow us to walk in the presence of God. He's real. He's here. He's available. He's involved. He's not remote. He's not distant. He's not unreachable. He's reached out to you.